Today on Blue 58, the Packers could use a bit of a get-well game and the Texans look willing to oblige. How will things shake out, though, as the Packers make just their third trip ever to the Texans' home stadium? Let's talk it out. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here on another episode. We've talked about a few different kinds of Packers games so far this year. We've been through a different, couple different phases of previews. There's been times when we didn't feel like we knew all that much about the Packers. There's been times when we've talked about not knowing much about their opponents, but ultimately it comes down to a, a couple different kinds of games. Sometimes it's not so much about who you play, but when you play them. We talked about that with the Packers and Buccaneers game last weekend. We all know how that turned out, sure, but would the result of that game be the same if you're playing the Buccaneers at Lambeau in December or January, or if you got them ahead of the bye week instead of after the bye week. Things to consider. Sometimes games are about matchups. The Saints gave the Packers a tough game, but they actually matched up really well with what the Saints wanted to do. It was bad to see Alvin Kamara run all over the field, but at the end of the day, throwing the ball to a running back is not the most efficient way to play offense. And with how the Packers' offense was rolling, it was a reasonable bet that if the Packers could limit the damage elsewhere, they were going to come out ahead. Sometimes games are none of those things. Sometimes it's just about how stacking up your best players and plays works out against the other team's best players and plays. I don't know if the pack or if the Texans rather would be any different right now than they would have been had the Packers opened with them to start the regular season. I don't know if playing them at a different time would make any difference. And I don't know if anything the Texans can do with the players they have would give them especially good matchups against the Packers either. What I'm trying to say is this, the Texans have been not great this year. They've been really bad in a lot of different and unique ways, some of which we'll talk about. But it boils down to this. They're one in five after a wild offseason. In their football outsiders, or in their in their yearly almanac, football outsiders described the Bill O'Brien era in Houston as being the football equivalent of John Mulaney, the stand-up comedian's horse loose in a hospital bit. If you haven't heard that, I would look it up. But in short, he talks about how our current state of affairs worldwide is a lot like a horse getting loose in the hospital. Nobody knows what's going to happen next because this has never happened before. And anybody who tells you otherwise is kidding themselves because they don't know either. Bill O'Brien did so many unusual and unique things and not always bad things either, but you just never knew what was coming next. The Texans are now in the process of picking up the pieces of that mess. A mess that was created in part because of a phone call Mark Murphy made. Brian Gutekunst on his way to interview for the GM job in Houston gets a phone call from Mark Murphy and says, well, maybe you should come back to Green Bay. There's an interesting fork in the road for a couple different franchises. It's been a tough start for the Texans. Three of their five losses have been in one possession games. They lost 28-21 to the Steelers in Week 3, and the Texans were up 21-20 with just under 10 minutes to go in the third. They lost 31-23 to the Vikings in Week 4. 
Minnesota led wire to wire in this game, but it wasn't necessarily also one of those games where the Texans came back late and made it a one-score game. It was pretty well in hand late in the game, 31-16 to 16 with 10-ish minutes to go. So it's it's not like that was super competitive game there right to the end. But then last week, the Texans lose to the Titans 42-36 to 36 in overtime, and that was obviously pretty competitive throughout. 78 points scored all told. Not too bad. But their other two games have been routes. They lose by 14 to the Chiefs, 17 to the Ravens, and look, that's understandable. Those are two really good teams, but all in all, it adds up to a 1-5 and five season, and it adds up to a team that seems less than the sum of its parts. They do have some nice parts, the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson is a nice young quarterback. They've got a bevy of good receivers. They've got some bright spots on defense, but still, it's just not coming together. And here come the Packers looking to get things back on track after their first loss of the season. So let's start talking start start talking about this game with a look at the Texans' office versus the Packers' defense. So where are the Texans strong? They get asked to start with Deshaun Watson. Even in a 1-5 season, he's been one of the league's most productive and efficient quarterbacks. He ranks highly in the volume numbers league-wide and in the per-play data as well. Is that in part because they are behind a bunch and just have to throw it all the time? Yep, absolutely, but he's still doing it really well. Over his last four games, he's 92 of 132, completing just a shade under 70% of his passes for 1,258 yards, 11 touchdowns, and three interceptions. Not too bad. Is a bunch of that against pretty bad teams that have still beaten the Texans anyway? Yep, no doubt, absolutely. He is still doing it, though. And even if it's coming in garbage time, even if it's when games are not necessarily competitive, he's getting it done. Where are the Texans vulnerable, though? Their offensive line is, I wanted to say not great, but they've been in a shambles here. They are they have no really redeeming qualities. Statistically, they are 21st in Football Outsiders adjusted line yard stat. They are 21st in sack rate. They are 19th in ESPN's pass block win rate. They are 2nd in run block win rate, but... The numbers across the board in that metric are extremely low, and they haven't gotten a lot of run production anyway. And what good is being good at run blocking when you're behind all the time anyway? You're not going to run yourself back into a 17-point football game. As far as players we should know about, you already know about this guy, but I want to talk just for a second about Randall Cobb. For Acme Packing Company, I spoke with Jeremy Brenner of the Battle Red blog about Randall Cobb. Here's what Rand, or here's what Jeremy had to say. Quote, I can see why the Packers kept Randall Cobb for so long. He's a great team-oriented guy, and for a team with a lot of change in its skill players, he's been a glue guy for the team. He hasn't been Deshaun Watson's favorite target, but he's been a reliable one. He can also make some shifty receiver plays, like the one he had last week in Nashville that went for a touchdown. Definitely one of my favorite new guys to watch. End quote. I'm preparing myself emotionally to see Randall Cobb in a Houston Texans uniform. But also, I'm really happy for Randall Cobb. If he wasn't going to stick around in Green Bay, what I want for him as a guy who has loved him his whole career is for him to get as much money as possible. And he got a good deal with the Cowboys last year. And then this spring, he signs a three-year, $27 million deal. This is like the ideal contract for a guy 
who's looking for one last big payday because there's almost no way they can cut him this offseason either because he's got a dead cap number that's so high. Good job, Randall Cobb. Production-wise, who cares? It's still pretty good. 22 catches, 277 yards, two touchdowns so far this season. Pretty efficient, but that's not the point. Point is, I'm happy for Randall Cobb and, uh, and the deal that he got in Houston. What about the Packers' offense versus the Texans' defense? Defense is supposed to be Houston's thing. They've got Romeo Cornell, who's been a good defensive coordinator, if not a great head coach. Can't be everything. Not everybody's going to be a good head coach. Romeo Cornell hasn't been. But as a defensive coordinator, he's done a pretty good job. Not so much this year, though. They are 27th by Football Outsiders DVOA number, 20th against the pass, 28th against the run. Traditional metrics, not great either. 26th in scoring, 30th in yards allowed, 26th in passing touchdowns allowed, 32nd in rushing yards per attempt allowed. They don't take anything away. They don't stop anything. They've given up 28-plus in all but one game this year. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Is there anywhere that they're strong, though? Surprisingly, ESPN's run-stop win rate. How often are the Texans defenders beating run blockers in front of them? Second best in the league, 34% of the time. But what does that get you? Practically nothing. Where are the Texans vulnerable then? Well, according to Football Outsiders, the Texans do not rank higher than 20th defensively against any receiver type. Not against number one receivers, not against number two receivers, not against slot receivers, not against tight ends, not against running backs. Not great. According to my conversation with the Battle Red blog, they are very vulnerable against the run. According to Matt LaFleur, I don't know. He always says nice things about his opponents. It doesn't really matter. But you got to think he likes his chances to get things done on offense this week. Who should we know about? I would like to talk about J.J. Watt here just for a second. Rumors of his demise, I think, are at least slightly exaggerated. Yep, he's getting up there. Yep, he's had a bunch of injuries. Undeniable. This year, still pretty productive, though. Production ratio of one. He has seven ball hawks so far this year. Three sacks, three passes defensed, and a fumble forced. He, in fact, leads the team in ball hawks. Bradley Roby, the defensive back, has six. Nobody else on the team has more than four. Production ratio team-wide for the Texans, not a great story. Whitney Merciless leads the, the, the way for the Texans with a production ratio of 1.16. Absolutely elite name here. Whitney Merciless is one of the coolest names in the NFL. If he would be the opposing like villain linebacker in a sports movie that probably injures like one of the the second tier characters just to give, I don't know, the, the team that you're supposed to root for something to rally around. If you found out in the movie that the character's name was Whitney Merciless, you would probably think that's a little bit on the nose, a little bit unrealistic, but hey, he's a real guy. Then you've got J.J. Watt at 1.0, as we mentioned. Zach Cunningham, the linebacker, has a production ratio of 0.83, pretty good, uh, pretty good number for an off-the-ball linebacker. Then they've got Charles Omanihu at 0.67. Not great when your number three pass rusher has a PR this low. But, lest those who live in glass houses throw stones here, the Packers' number two pass rusher is currently Rashawn Gary, sitting at a production ratio of .63. Only three players on the Packers at .6 or higher right now, and it's Zadarius Smith, way up at like 2.2, and everybody else is right there around .6. The Packers need more out of their pass rush. This might be the time to get it. What happened the last time the Packers and Texans got together? I know you were wondering, so I will tell you. The Packers' history with the Texans is exactly four games long so far. This is a mind-blowing thing for me to think about. 
and it makes me feel old, even though I remind myself I'm not that old, but I can remember the entire history of the Houston Texans pretty well, and every game the Packers have played against them pretty well. Aaron Rodgers has only played two more games against the Texans than Brett Favre did in Green Bay. The last time they played was in the middle of the run the table run in 2016 at Lambeau Field. The Packers got it out a 21 to 13 win. Frigidly cold, snowy day at Lambeau Field. Jordy Nelson had 118 yards and a score. Julius Peppers had a sack, his second to last one with the Packers. The last time the Packers played in Houston, even more interesting though, 2012. The Texans came in at 5 and 0 and left on the receiving end of a 42-24 beatdown. Aaron Rodgers had six touchdowns. This is the shh game. What do you have to say to the people who doubted you coming in? That's probably my favorite Aaron Rodgers soundbite. So who's going to win in this one? This is going to be the Packers. Last week we walked through a bunch of scenarios where the, the Packers might win, they might not win. Buccaneers ultimately did. I don't know if you if you knew that, but... Buccaneers came out on top. I think that's, I, I wouldn't have been surprised. In fact, when I was talking with the Bucks Nation blog, I said I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Buccaneers won against the Packers. They matched up really well with the Packers. I would be surprised if the Texans beat the Packers. I think there's a lot that has to go right for the Texans to be competitive in this game. I think the Packers are just a better team. And that's what it comes down to here. The Packers are better on offense than the Texans are on defense. The Texans don't do enough on offense, even with the Packers' slightly permissive defense, to make this a game. I just don't see a scenario where the Texans make this super competitive unless they get a totally unforeseen defensive output that shuts down the Packers, maybe injures somebody, I don't know. It just doesn't look like there is a scenario where the Texans are terribly competitive in this game. Packers fans, though, are not quite so confident as I am. In our weekly Packers poll, just 88.5% of Packers fans predicted a win for the Packers this week. That is a season low, second season low, or second lowest total, excuse me, of the season. Only lower game so far this year was week three against the Saints, 83.3% of voters predicted a win in that game. Elsewhere in the polls, we've seen a bit of a downturn across the board here. In fact, every figure that we ask our audience about saw a dip in their approval rating this week. The defense has an overall approval rating of just 3%. It's easy to understand why, but a lot of people are blaming Mike Pettin for that. He has an approval rating of just 6 points. It is one of the lowest numbers we have ever seen, although not the lowest ever. Late last season, well, last third of last season, just just as we actually started polling about Sean Menenga last year, he had several consecutive weeks where he had an approval rating of zero. In fact, three consecutive weeks last, last season, weeks 12 through 14, his approval rating was down to zero. I still don't think the Packers make a change here. But Packers fans sure are ready for a change. A couple last thoughts before we we wrap things up for this preview episode. First, it's been a while since we asked, and I know the numbers, depending on where you live in the country right now, 
virus-related stuff are not looking super great. Um, so I just wanted to ask again, we did this a couple times earlier this, this year. How you doing? You doing all right? Check in. Let me know. I do love hearing from people. I mean, it doesn't always have to be about football stuff if you just want to talk. I had, I've had two people sending me recipes this week, and I think that's super cool. Uh, I, I do this because when we were having some, some times last year, 2019, when things were not going super great for us, uh, it, it always bothered me that people who knew didn't ask. Even if things weren't changing, it's always nice for people to ask. So things are a little bit tough for a lot of people right now. How are you doing? Second, I received a couple interesting questions after the last episode that all kind of boiled down to one thing. The title of the last episode was, Can the Packers Add Talent on Offense? And a couple people asked, why focus on offense? Doesn't the defense need help here too? First, well, a couple reasons. First and foremost, somebody asked. So if somebody asked, we're going to try to answer that question. But secondly... And probably a lot more importantly, the defense is already pretty full of guys who should be fixing things already. Just to review, the Packers have three really big free agents on that defense right now. Zadarius and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos. You can throw Christian Kirksey in there if you want. They also have four first-round picks on defense right now. Kenny Clark, Jair Alexander, Rashawn Gary, and Darnell Savage. They also have some other high picks out there as well. Kevin King, Montrevious Adams, Oren Burks, all of those three guys taken in the third round or earlier. That should be enough. Sure, they could use some help at inside linebacker, but that's supposed to be Oren Burks. I mean, you could even argue it's supposed to be Kamal Martin. I'd let I'd give the Packers a little bit of a pass there because he's hurt, although drafting hurt guys is not always a recipe for success. But that should be enough to get it done. You shouldn't have to be making midseason moves to get another inside linebacker. When you've signed one, drafted one, drafted another one, you should be able to get it done. At some point, you're throwing good money after bad. They should just be getting better results here. and They haven't been, but they should be. Third, I think there's, there's a predisposition towards focusing on offense because there, it's a lot easier to find trendy names there. But I also think that's fair in a way because I think one player is more likely to make an impact on offense than on defense. I think you could upgrade, given the skill level of the players the Packers have on offense, see a more significant move of the needle with an addition on offense than on defense. And finally, I don't have a lot to back this up, but I just think probably the Packers are not likely to get as good a return on their investment for the resources they'd have to spend to get a a significant piece on defense. I think you can plug in a lower caliber prospect on offense and get good results than you could on defense. You'd have to pay a pretty penny to get an inside linebacker who could really make a significant difference on the Packers right now. If you found a receiver who could just play the right role on the Packers' offense, that could do a lot for them. Just look how different their offense was this past week without Tyler Irvin in the lineup. If you had the wide receiver equivalent of that, a guy who could just add some interesting things to your offense, I think that could make a pretty big impact. There are some options out there for upgrading the Packers' defense, but right now I think the the primary thing the Packers should be looking to add is offensive talent, if they do anything at all. And we should add the caveat that nothing is probably going to happen here. I would say the odds of the Packers actually trading somebody 
bringing somebody in are going to be pretty low. I would love to see it happen just because it would be exciting. And we could talk about the, the quality of the move once it happens. I would love to be a part of that for once, just to have a big, exciting move at the deadline. Cap space, it's probably not super realistic. Just given the way the Packers do things, it's probably not super realistic, but it'd be fun to see. But it, it just doesn't seem super likely. However, you never know. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Hope you appreciated and enjoyed the, the preview. I uh, do appreciate you listening in. And uh, if you thought this was worth your time, if you thought somebody else might benefit from it, why don't you go ahead and share it? You can find this podcast just about everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Amazon Music now, Spotify. You can even just find it on our podcast website, uh, which is probably something that we should link to uh, more regularly, but we don't because most people find the podcast through just the podcast player of their choice. But just go ahead and share it. Uh, it's even available at thepowersweep.com. That's the easiest way for you to find it. Uh, just, just share it, get it out there. That's going to help us continue to grow and continue the conversation around the Green Bay Packers and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.